This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Kentucky Daily. We got a post game edition for you here. And uh, for the sixth time this season, Sean, we are doing a uh, a post game loss for Kentucky. So the Wildcats dropped to three and six today after the loss to Florida. It was a 34 to 10 defeat. Um, we'll get into. We'll get into this one, Sean, but uh, I'll let you start if you're ready to just give some initial impressions after uh, another really, really, really ugly game. Yeah, this has certainly happened way too many times this season, Derek. I I didn't think that this offense and everything would be this bad. Uh, Man, it's it's to the point that I just feel like – I said it yesterday. I think you've you've reached a point to where – you have to make a change in some capacity. And I don't know, like I just – Kentucky had a perfect game plan early, Derek, but it, once again, once that's the thing with this team right now is they literally have to be perfect. Everything has to go their way. And if one thing's off, then they don't have a chance. And that's what happened today. As soon as that punt return happened, it snowballed, and Kentucky never looked the same at all. They never even threatened again, really. Uh didn't even look competitive in the second half. That's the second straight week where they just absolutely got embarrassed in the second half and looked like, honestly, a team that doesn't belong in the SEC on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, they don't belong in college football, I don't think, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they got outscored 20-0 to after what you're talking about on that punt, 20-0 in the second half. Uh, some numbers, Kyle Trask, uh, obviously one of the Heisman front runners. He went 21-27. 256, three touchdown passes. All of those went to Kyle Pitts, who uh, was pretty much whatever he wanted. He got five catches, 99 yards, and, of course, the three scores, including um, a 56-yard reception there in the first quarter. So a couple things I want to bring up. Uh, And sometimes things that happen in a game seem like they're really important, and then by the end you kind of wonder how important they really were. But, Let's go to special teams to start. Uh, first drive of the game, it looks like Kentucky's forced a three and out, but Florida runs a fake punt, converts, scores a touchdown play, like I was just talking about, the 56-yarder, two plays later. And then right before the half, the one you talked about, uh, Max Duffy just – Stoops said he shanked it. I thought he was trying to give Duffy an out there by saying that. Um, I think it was pretty clear. Florida had two return guys, and he just kicked it to the wrong guy. He rolled out to the right and just kicked it right to him. UK's coverage was to the left, and uh, no one's there to stop him. And Tony goes all the way. I think he went untouched, didn't he? I don't think anyone even yeah. was near yeah, him. He, the guy that he made, I can't remember who it was, he made but, miss at the beginning, but, but that was the only chance they had to make a tackle. Yeah, but the point I want to make about that, though, is I thought it was a absolutely horrible, just a horrible decision by Stoops that was not based on logic for his team at all, is that he called a timeout. Uh Kentucky forced a stop around midfield. I don't remember the exact time. I mean, it was late in the second half. It was in an area basically where Florida might have wanted to use its timeouts, but – well, let me get to this point first. They they forced a punt, and the, it was a great punt. They went inside the one-yard line, but Kentucky had called a timeout, and when you do that, you're under the assumption that Kentucky's going to try to, like, score basically. You want to leave some time for your offense to go do something. They've not shown that at all, Sean, that they can be a quick strike offense. So basically what you ended up doing in that situation was just leaving more time for Florida because you get pinned at the one, Kentucky doesn't try to – and I get it, like once you get pinned that deep, it's a risk to drop back and throw the ball. I mean, if you throw an interception, 
Florida's going to be right there close to the end zone. If you get sacked at the safety, like, things can happen. I get why you would want to run out of there. But they run it three times, don't really get anything. Florida uses their timeouts, and then they get the ball back right there. Even if Kentucky didn't, if they stopped Tony on that punt return, they're still starting off pretty close to field goal range right there alone. And you just gave them time. And it was just such a bad like, – uh, like if Dan Mullen would have done that, it would have been fine because his offense can go score. But like Kentucky has not shown all year that they even care about how many times this year have they had a spot near the half where they could have done that and they chose to just run the clock out. Well, I mean, well, almost every game. Many, well, how many times in the Mark Stoops era have they been in that yeah. situation where they they played conservative? And this was the time that it didn't make sense to be aggressive. You weren't going to get good field position, even if you got the ball to twenty. Yeah, uh, I think that Florida was going to be content just letting the clock run themselves on the punt. They want they for sure weren't going to call a timeout. I don't think before they punted to Kentucky, and it I don't know like it just that was just mind boggling to me that they even made that call. And uh, honestly, Derek, we've said it all season. You know that the wide receiver position and you know quarterbacks play and everything else. It's kind of let Kentucky down, but honestly, we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't say the staff lets them down sometimes, too. And I think that this thing goes both ways right now. Uh, I do think there are some people definitely on that sideline that's failing this team to an extent, though. Uh, like not hiring a special teams coordinator. I mean, I'm sure there's people appointed that are over that. We know that. But at the same time, like, why go into a season and not hire a special teams coordinator when you already got rid of one early in your time at Kentucky because you – you know, wanted to put an emphasis on special teams play. That's been really good under Dean Hood. I just don't understand why you don't fill that spot. Well, I agree with you, and uh, I thought it was a little uncharacteristic for Stoops. Uh, just, and I know he felt like Frank Buffano had deserved a chance, but Stoops has a really good track record. Actually, one of the things he does very well is hiring defensive coaches, and Buffano. I get it. He was a Youngstown guy. I probably felt some loyalty towards him, so I promoted him. But when you promoted him, that's whenever he had to decide to go with the special teams coach by committee. And his defense of that in the post game, in terms of the special team stuff, is that the guy and the audio was awful. I'm not going back and listen to. It. Apparently, the video was okay, but listening to it live on Zoom, the audio was just garbage. So couldn't really hear much of what Stoops was saying. But what I did hear is the person who coaches a lot of the specialists basically is still there and has been for five years. So that was kind of his defense of it is that, you know, it's not really that much different, I guess, is what some people are making it out to be. But I'm with you. Whenever you do struggle in special teams, and this was not the first time this year that they've had some struggles, it's just a very – it's just a very easy to thing to question as to why you don't have it. A few more things, Sean, I want to hit on. I mean, a lot, lot more, but moving on to the next thing that I want to bring up. And it's kind of more of a – I don't want to – I'll try not to be too long-winded, but I kind of just reached this conclusion today. I'd reached it before, but it's even more obvious today. The whole logic, and it makes sense, to not play Bo Allen this year was because you were worried if he didn't look good, you wouldn't be able to sell that for the future. But I'm to the point now, Sean, where how do you defend four games this year where you've not even thrown for 100 yards? So, like, is it really that much worse if you put a true freshman in and let's say – he doesn't play all that great. Well, okay, he's a true for, What they did is they went back and got a senior quarterback who they played pretty much exclusively here down the stretch who just threw for 62 yards in a game, and it wasn't even a season low. I mean, it's the fourth time this year, third time, excuse me, third time for Terry against Georgia. They also didn't throw for 100 yards, but that was Joey. It would. So do you see what I'm saying here? Like, I do. What is the point of if you're so worried about it looking so bad? Like, you, the passing offense is already horrible. So what's it matter, Bogut? Like, I'm to the point, Sean, maybe this is just post-game being crazy. What would it hurt to play Bo Allen, like, just to start him against South Carolina, give him the last game of the year? Could it be that much worse than 62 yards passing? I mean. I think, if anything, honestly, it would have to be better, right, considering that's his strength. I mean, you'd have to improve in that aspect. Uh, I just, I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I told you that, honestly, I think that they should start Bo in the final game of the season, but it's senior day, and we both know, you know, that Terry's going to be the starting quarterback. But, you know, you saw it today. You know, Joey Gatewood goes in. I think his – was it his first pass attempt was intercepted? It was the first pass he actually threw. They had called a few First more. pass he actually threw. Okay. That's the only so pass that's, he threw. Uh, so, that I just 
I'm to the point now that I'm convinced that Bo will be the starting quarterback next year. I think we've kind of been able to, you know, read between the lines the last few weeks and how things have gone. But you've got to have some downfield. You you just got to throw the ball. Like you even called attention to it there in the first half out of all those plays. They're starting the game. I mean, more than 85 or 90% were run plays. And that was fine. I mean, you were having success. You were dominating time of possession. But you only had 10 points to show for it, and you still trailed at the half. And then I knew the moment that that punt return happened and it went to 14-10 and Florida had possession to start the second half, I knew I knew the game was over. Like that, that's, the game was I over. I think that's the bad thing point. about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bad thing about it is it's a 14-10 game, and you can sit there and know it's not even going to be close. Like you know Florida – was just going to end up taking advantage of that. And if that's all it takes, that's the thing with this team. One mistake, and this this offense is so bad that if one thing goes wrong, they're buried. And I don't know how you get out of that. I mean, I said that you saw the highlight tape, uh, the highlight video that I retweeted of Christian Lewis this morning going up and getting a touchdown pass. And I tweeted it is it's very important that they get a signature from him. But it's going to take more than that. Like, there's going to have to be some things changed, Derek. And I just feel like that at times, I mean, it's questionable play calling. Like, it's just. Yeah, I changed my mind again, by the way. I'm back on the thing. I mean, it's just it's just too, like, it's just too much. You know, you just can't have th- this many games this season where they just look that bad throwing the ball. Not well, expect some major changes to be made. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I just feel like at times they, like, Keith Upshaw, you know, looks amazing. Like, honestly, that's the biggest takeaway from this season to me is Upshaw's going to be really good. Like, Upshaw will be playing on Sundays. I think he's that good. But yeah. you, they, he wasn't even a factor. After he caught pretty much the touchdown pass there, he wasn't a factor at all the rest of the game. And I don't know what you do to change it. It just feels like it's to the point that if Eddie Grant's back in Lexington next year, I don't know what it's going to be like, Derek. The the talk leading up to the season and everything. I don't know what the fan interest is going to be like. Uh, I just don't know anymore. Like I don't know. Like something has to change. It's not like you can just go get rid of all these players that you have on the roster. So I don't know. Like all I know is Mark Stoops has a lot of decisions to make here in the next few weeks when the season's over. Uh, I think he needs to look at himself as well. Yeah, and I I just think that this is something this entire staff and this program kind of just needs to do a, a self evaluation and look at your look at themselves and be like, okay, where are we going from here? Because this has been an absolute just meltdown. This season has been you put it up there with one. I, I put it up there with one of the worst seasons they've had since he's been there. I was trying to think about that today. I mean, it's the worst season certainly in the bowl since they've been going to bowls. I mean, this team. This is a this is a I don't know what you say about 62 yards passing. And it, there was a game at Missouri that they threw for, what, 40-something yards, something like that? I think it was a yeah, final goal on that. Or no, that was 45 plays is what they ran. Or, yeah, and, I just wanna, right? and, and I just want to know – I'd love to know what's the biggest reason this is happening. Is it Eddie Graham? Is it Terry Wilson? Is it the wide receivers? Like, what is it? Like, I it's – it can't be everything into one, can it? I mean, to me, I feel like there's one area that has to kind of be overriding all of it. And then now you see on Twitter today, you know, Quentin Bohanna and Mike Edwards going back and forth. And Quentin Bohanna, it was over a tweet, I think Mike tweeted, that they need to use Upshaw more or something. And Quentin Bohanna replied to it along the lines of that he's been keeping his mouth shut. And I don't know if you saw that or not that exchange I did see it. on Twitter. I did. Um, and I just feel like it's to the point now that frustration is bullying over Derek on in every position on this team. And Mark Stoops is at a point where it's going to be hard to manage that. How, how do you – do you lose the locker room if you don't make some changes? I don't know. Well, you're not getting Josh Ali back, I don't think, if you don't. See, I feel like the thing in this year that they really tried to do, and maybe to a point it might have worked had they – not been this bad, but I almost feel like just based on the way they recruited these kids, these wide receivers, and talking about changing the offense, it sounded like to me the pitch from the coaches was simply that their players weren't any good. That's the only way I can take out of that. Was what they were trying to sell was they've got a plan, the coaches do, but they just don't have the players who are good enough to do it. And uh, 
I'll say this to that. They've, they've really not had a good offense at all throwing the ball the whole time Eddie's been here. They, they had moments in 2016 when he had some uh, better players whom, uh, of course, he didn't recruit. It was other other coaches had done that job well, and uh, brought some good players in for him. And once he got in charge of that, you see what you see now, which is a uh, literally two guys. I mean, look at the look at the damn stats, Sean. Receiving two receivers caught passes, Ali and Upshaw, and then, of course, Rose got the screen pass. That uh, was a poorly thrown screen ball to Rose, and they got stopped on fourth down. So Florida Florida actually had just as many guys. Their defense had three picks. Three different guys caught a ball over there for Florida. Same as Kentucky. I mean, this well, offense, it's just a joke, and it's, it's inexcusable at this level to uh, have well, an offense this bad. Uh, they have to make some kind of change. They have to. And two two for this. 13 on third down. And that's been something that's been there all season, too. You know, they were really good on third down. I think it was Auburn game. I thought that they were really good on third down. Yeah. Uh, maybe against Ole Miss, too. I thought, but since then, they've not been good on third down. But I'll say this. When you're winning 10 games like you were in 2018, this wasn't a problem because you're winning. And then last year, with Glenn Bowden, the way that the, this offense was designed and everything through him, and they were winning, it's not a problem. Now it's a problem. And it almost makes you go back to last year. And I don't want to take away success. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, they, they shouldn't have done – they shouldn't have had the success that they had and things. But it kind of almost feels like that the way last season ended, that final six, seven, eight games with, with Lynn at quarterback, kind of covered up this. And I just feel like that this has kind of been coming. And honestly, I think that we should have – Probably seen this coming, but I, I think we did. I think we had question marks about everything, but I don't think any of us thought it would be this bad. I don't think Mark thought it would be this bad. But when you're winning games, let's not act like this offense was doing anything great with the passing attack in 2018 because they weren't. I mean, Terry had some pretty bad games that season too. Uh, then you have you see guys like Taven Richardson leaving the program and going to Marshall for a final season and stuff like that. I mean, has this problem been here? Yeah. But now it's just the point point that it's kind of magnified. I mean, it's certainly magnified now. Uh, That was a good point about Taven, although I guess that really didn't do anything for him uh, leaving. But, uh, no, I mean, I don't want to put all the blame. It's not all one player's fault, but you're right about Terry. I mean, let's go back to his 2018 season. Three games that year where he didn't throw for over 100 yards. So the kids what now fifteen and nine, right at quarterback? How how many games is that? Three? That's what three this year? Six games? So basically one out of every four games you can't even count on the guy to throw for more than a hundred yards. And I get it. Like at times, the offense isn't predicated on Terry Wilson throwing for a ton of yards. But like Sean, this is like the bare minimum. Like a hundred yards is not even a good number. It's just like a benchmark I'm using. But that just because he hit for a hundred yards doesn't mean it was a good game. Like that sucks. Throwing oh. hundred yards in a game. Well, so. And two, this this offense literally on their first possession they had to punt on a possession that on they got zone. inside the red yeah. zone. I mean, like I where know. do you see that? You don't see that anywhere, and it's not penalties that push them back. It was literally just sacks. I, and, I thought about this during the game. I thought it was kind of crazy. Remember that first game of the year, how hard everybody was on Terry, and I was like kind of defending him. He threw for two thirty nine that game. Unless he goes crazy against South Carolina next week, like he's not even going to come close to hitting that number again this year. And people were like on him for that game where he threw for 239. The best game since then was actually the game against Ole Miss. He threw for 151. So it's progressively like – so even yes. that's the question. It's not even so much we're talking about the year to year. This is like the start of the season was downright promising looking at those numbers compared to what it ended up being. Like you thought he threw for 239 that game. You would think he would at least surpass that once in the next nine games. And he's not going to. And, you know, and he and he's the hard player to kind of judge and kind of grade, just given that he missed all of last season and that development, that we really don't have an accurate read on what it would have been like three years in this offense. But at the same time, Derek, I mean, we've seen Joey Gatewood play and stuff and, and chances and opportunities this year. And this is a guy that was billed as a, one of the top recruits in the country when he came out of high school. And he looks just as lost as Terry does yeah. at times. I'm, I mean, I just – what I'm saying is, if Eddie goes, I don't think Eddie's the only one to go. Like, I'm just to the point that I think that you you could do a complete overhaul on that side of the ball. I mean, quarterback development, I think, is a question mark. I think, obviously, the recruiting from both Henshaw and Grant, is, it hasn't been good. I mean, 
those early years you mentioned already in 2016 when Eddie was there, he was doing it with Juice and Dorian Baker, guys that they didn't recruit to Kentucky. That was Neil Brown. And there's been a significant drop-off in the skill positions since Eddie and Henshaw and these guys have been in charge of recruiting those positions. And I, I don't know what the fix is, but all I know is that you can't have this happen for another season. It can be bad next year, but still have promise. And that's better than just bad. Because right now, I don't see a whole lot of promise at that position and with this offense. I mean, obviously, you're putting all your eggs in one basket with Bo, and I think Bo's going to be a very good quarterback. But you've got to put pieces around him, too. And I just – I don't know. Like, it's just stunning to me that this program is this bad offensively in the SEC. I, I think – I guess one of my biggest criticisms, and maybe there's enough wiggle room to where it's not a – just blatant screw up by the coaching staff. But my, my whole thing is just like, I think they've just really mismanaged personnel this whole season with how they've, it was a basically a gimme year that I'm not going to say wins and losses don't matter because they do. I mean, Will Muschamp got fired. So clearly it meant something to South Carolina, how they look this year. But the team is going to finish at best four and six, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, okay, maybe you get a bowl game. Maybe you can get to five wins. But at best, you're going to go four and six. What what guy for next season, what young guy that they've played, have you seen enough from to be excited about next year? There's no, on offense? On offense, there's nobody. No, when I say, when nobody. I say young, I'm talking about, like, the guys who actually play. Like, well, Drennan's really about the only one. Drennan and Cummings plays every now and then. Those guys, like, well, how do you even get Drennan just like a jet sweep every now and then? Uh, I mean, it's just – the personnel they use, uh, and, and this is a smaller thing, and I, I guess they feel some loyalty towards the kid, but like Zach Johnson, you, you actually use Jatah McLean and Travis Hizzle on the kickoff team, but you don't have them return kicks. And you don't play them on offense either, really. It's like, what's the harm in getting those guys a few touches here and there? That's the things that I'm talking about. It's just very odd, I think, how they use some of the personnel. And they, they decided, and credit to them, they decided that they wanted to try to win games this year. That's how they are going to do it. They felt like they owed it to the kids on the team who had stuck around and worked hard in the pandemic year. I get all that. But today, whenever you're clearly going to lose, when it gets to the third quarter, and Terry's still out there throwing interceptions. I mean, they didn't even get Bo in today. And Joey played, what, one series? So yeah. uh, how do you still get blown Most out and not get your backups rep? Yeah, like you get blown out and you just didn't give anybody else chances to play, really. So that's going to be development next year that they're just not going to have. And I think this was a year it would have been easy to have gotten these guys in the game and give them a chance here and there. And they're going to go into next year. I mean, think of some of the other teams that well, have gone the other way and have used some young guys. They'll have a head start on Kentucky because of that. Well, and I'll I'll go to this, too. And – There'll be people that listen to this podcast that remember these days of Kentucky football. But uh, early on with Rich Brooks, we've talked about this game multiple times. That game at Tennessee that season where Kentucky, they weren't good that year, but you felt you could see hope. And you could kind of see 2006 and 2007 happening before it happened yeah. because you had a young quarterback. You had Dickie Lines, Jacob Tammy, all those guys out there making plays that were very young. You can see the future. I don't see the future right now on that side of the ball at right. all here with all these guys that they have. And that's the thing that I don't know if this is just something that's just going to magically get better if you slide Bo Allen in the quarterback next year. You might have a better quarterback, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have points on the board. You've got to, it's got to go both ways here. And honestly, if I were Stoops in the staff, I'd kind of be sweating it out with Christian Lewis and some of these guys. I mean, you know, they're watching these games. You have to question whether or not that you want to go join something like that. So I don't know what they're pitching. I don't know what they're saying, but I would be on the phone every single day trying to make sure that they sign and say, look, we have to change this. You have to come help us change this. But at the same time, I just, I don't know. Like I've watched it now this season. I told you after last week, I'm, I'm ready for it to be over with. Honestly, it's that painful to watch. Uh, the defense, I feel like the defense is kind of at a point to where how can you really get jacked up to play when you know your offense can't move the ball and they can't score points? Now, I know Chris Rodriguez has been out the last two weeks. I think that he would have made an impact, especially in the red zone. I think he would have helped us in those short yard situations. But like I said earlier in the podcast, I feel like and it, obviously all of it falls on Stoops because he's the head coach. Whether it's his fault or not, 
he's going to be the one that takes the blame for it. Somebody's failing someone, though. Somebody on that staff is failing significantly. And if Stoops doesn't make a change or doesn't have the guts to make a change, then I think he's failing. Because I feel like you cannot go into 2021 with the same approach and just think that it's going to be better. Because if you do, you're going to be in a much worse situation a year from now than what you are right now. Yeah, so I'm going through, and I'm not trying to pick on Terry. I, I, he was just an example I was using as, uh, I think, a failure of the coaching staff to develop other guys, basically. And they've they they pinpointed him as a guy that they needed to have at quarterback. So, uh, whatever, basically. But today was actually the first time looking at his numbers that he threw two interceptions in a game since his debut against Central Michigan, uh, which was interesting. I mean, I will say that the kid almost never throws picks. He also doesn't throw very many completions either, though, or uh, doesn't attempt many passes. So basically for his numbers this year, Sean, he, Terry, and let's just use this as a bigger picture for the passing offense, more so than just Terry. Basically what you can count for this season for Kentucky's offense is 104 yards passing per game, about 10 completions per game, and about 16 attempts. That's what that's what it's averages out for for Terry's numbers. Oh. I think Joey, Joey threw for like 92 yards, so it falls right into the – is a little less, a little less than their average this year. So that's going off. That's that's off Wilson's numbers, his completions, his attempts, and his touchdowns. So you better have one hell of a running game to make up for that. <laughs> if yeah, you're, you and when, and when Rodriguez plays, I mean they're pretty good. Now, I will say that there's no doubt he's a loss. I mean it's worth mentioning that again. There were guys out, but I'm just gonna be blunt here. Like he was really like the only and Horsey, Horsey too was out. Like. For them to have 16, 17 guys out, like, there were only a few difference makers who really – like, some of these guys was like Taj Dotson, Jamari Brown, like, guys who barely play anyway who were out. They got Jamin Davis back today. He did some good things. I think he recovered the fumble, right? Did he recover two fumbles? Or did Square recover? Uh, I think Square recovered the first one. Square got the first one. Uh, But, no, so that's my takeaway. Like, the offense – or the defense, actually, the whole Florida, the 34s, uh, well, I say 34, the, the the kick return. They gave up a touchdown on the kick return, so really 27 points. Uh, for most teams, Sean, that have a decent offense, that might be a winning effort against Florida. So not, not I mean, out of a job by that side of the ball. It just – it's frustrating to watch, even as just a media perspective. Uh, it's boring to cover at times. Derek, I know you probably feel the same exact way that I do. It's not too Kentucky's not playing offense in 2020. Like this is so far behind that you know these other coaches around the league are probably sitting quietly just laughing about this. Like I mean that's honestly like if I played Kentucky right now as a head coach or a defensive coordinator, I'd laugh when I got back home because like what I, I just I don't know the simplest plays the difficult plays. Uh, I do want to bring this up, too. Does it seem like that the last two weeks, Grand Eddie's had he's had a really good, like, plan. Like, the offense looks different in the first quarter. They're doing a lot of shifting and a lot of things, a lot of motion, a lot of movement, trying to mix things up. But where does that go from the mid-second quarter on? They don't do any of the shifting or anything on any plays in the second half. It's that, I don't know if, like, he – not trying to make fun here, but I'm just—I really want to know. Like, he comes up with this playbook and this plan. Does the rest of it get lost in the wind somewhere, or is it just like a first quarter type thing? And go back and watch the game the last two weeks and see all that. They're shifting, they're doing all this stuff early in the game, they're having success, and they don't do it the rest of the game. And that's that trying to get. It's like, why is if you're having success, why not? And I don't think it's. Honestly, I don't think it's Alabama and Florida taking that stuff away. I just think that it's just Kentucky getting in its own way and, and bidding penalties or doing something stupid and kind of hurting their chances, or maybe it's just play calls. I don't know. But, you know, when Terry throws his arms up and stuff and they do the shift, that stuff does not happen for mid-second quarter on. So, Sean, two two straight weeks. Let's Listen to these second-half numbers. Last week against Alabama, 27 total yards. No passing yards in 20 plays. They picked up one first down last week. This week, 46 total yards, 13 passing yards, two first downs. Three turnovers today. 
That is 26, 27. So what was, I don't know, don't let me do math right here on the spot. 70-something yards, 46, uh, 63 yards is what that is. Or 73, my bad, 73 yards. 73 yards short. 73 yards combined, <laughs> two games. Uh, and thir- don't, don't, don't short on those 10 yards. I won't. Thir- 13 passing <laughs> yards, that's easy to do. 13 plus zero, that's easy math. Uh, so that's the point you're talking about. And, and last week against Alabama, uh, 1.4 yards per play in the second half. Today, 2.2. So, yeah, these, this is definitely a losing effort. Uh, and you're right. Like Things do seem to be running a little bit more smoothly. And I don't know enough football to sit here and say um, – it's, he's getting out coached or, or whatever. I think that's probably the easy takeaway is that he can come in like Grant came comes in with decent game plans, and then once halftime gets here, doesn't does I don't I don't know if I want to say adjust or what, but like yeah, it's that's a obvious drop off to where you have 175 against Florida today in the first half, and they had 152 last week. So if you just match those numbers, you're going to be pushing 300 yards or so, which still isn't and, a, and then you're competitive. Yeah, but yeah, you're at least you're like. Competitive. Yeah. So, yeah, but you totally fall off in the second half. And and here's another thing, too, man. And, like, they just look undisciplined today, too. They had eight penalties in the second half for 74 yards. One one drive that gave Florida a touchdown. Three straight penalties. Two face masks and a pass interference in the end zone. Well, Florida's Florida. Florida has Kyle Pitts. They have Tony. They have these weapons that Kentucky does not have. Yeah. But at the same time, Derek, I don't feel like that Florida beat Kentucky today. I honestly go away from this game thinking that Kentucky had more to do with the final outcome than Florida did. Now, Pence did capitalize. He did make plays. But the first drive of the second half for Florida, that was Kentucky giving yardage up. It wasn't Florida making plays. It was stupid penalties. And then you put yourself in a red zone situation defensively. Of course, Kyle Pence is going to make a play. You've got him to the point to where he's a really significant factor. And Kyle Trask is too good a quarterback, and they had a they had a perfect game plan. I, I don't want to discredit that. The game plan obviously was to keep Trask and that offense on the sideline, but that, that right there just goes to show you how bad this offense is, and the margin for error is so thin that Florida can possess the ball for six minutes in the first half and still have a lead at halftime. I mean, that's the bad thing about it, and that just shows you just how thin the margin for error is for this team. Derek, in a, in a normal year, this would have been an eight and four Kentucky football team because I would think it that it swept the four non-conference games. On that, I don't know if it would have been honestly. It, I think it would have been at least a seven and five because I th- they've beaten the teams that were on their schedule in Tennessee and Mississippi State and Vandy, and now it just comes down to if they beat South Carolina, they would have won the four SEC games that were on the schedule and lost for the other four clearly. And I think they would have at least won the three non-conference games. Louisville, I don't know. It's a rivalry game. But then again, like, if that's the case and you're 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, you're probably not making a change in anything on offense. You're probably content with where you are, and it might have spelled bigger problems. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. I, I do kind of – again, there are circumstances going against the offense this year that we pointed out. I don't remember which episode that was. It's whenever I was feeling like defending Eddie Grand that day. So I went and defended him. And those are still legitimate things that I mentioned. Not having coaches there. Obviously, Schlarman dying is a huge emotional thing. One, you're playing in a pandemic as well. I mean, that's worth pointing out. Like, it's just, it's a different season. But there's no excuse that it's this bad. I mean, no, other teams are playing through the same – not the same in terms of coaches dying, but in terms of protocols, things like that. They have the same things to deal with. And – um it's just it's just really bad. I mean, 62 yards passing. I mean, like I said, dude, there are option teams this year who have thrown for more yards than them for the season. And that's just flat-out embarrassing. And uh, you can say it's against an all-SEC defense and things like that. Florida and Alabama statistically aren't even that great this year. Florida certainly wasn't. I mean, Florida has been – that's probably Florida's – I'm sure they're leaving that field today thinking that's the best they've played all season on defense. And, I mean, it came – and one more thing while I'm at it, too, one more thing to say is what makes it so tough is that Terry Wilson cannot complete passes vertically. Either guys can't get open or he just can't complete them. And they don't take very many shots either. So you really, I mean, they take, what, two or three a game. You actually have a shot to uh, 
to get it to him. But I just didn't think he played very well today. I don't want to blame everything on him. It's not all his fault. But even some of his completions, he was thrown behind guys. I know he did Ali and or Ali and uh, Upshaw both in the first half games that could have been more. And those are small things, but those are throws that if he puts it a little bit out in front of them, they can catch it and run. For this offense, every yard matters. And uh, throwing it behind them at the slow them down, things like that. I, I think, and that's not even, I'm not trying to be super critical of Terry because I just think that they've not managed that spot well. Uh, and you're just going to go into yeah. next year not really giving yourself a chance well, to uh, to be, I mean, there's going to be very, very green on offense next year. And I just think there were times you could have avoided that a little bit more. You could have gotten Bo more experience than what they have this year. There's no doubt about that. Well, they went into this season with a question mark at quarterback, and it was because of injury. You didn't know if Terry was going to be the runner and the scrambler that he was before then, if he was going to have the same. Honestly, they're going into quarterback. They're going into next season with questions at quarterback. I just honestly think it's been an absolute waste. Uh, sure, they have the Tennessee win. Honestly, though, do you feel really – would you rather have the Tennessee win or feel better about your program? I, I think as a whole, I think I'd rather feel better about the program if I were a fan and knowing that – because this was – I mean, look, there was talk about winning the SEC East from this coaching staff and these players going into this season. And what this has showed me is they may be – just as far away from that as they were four years ago, if yeah. not even further. And when we talked about and, these wins, Mississippi State's two and five, Vanderbilt's zero and eight, and Tennessee's two and five. So yeah, they've, they've beaten nobody. They've beaten nobody that's good. I don't think this is a good football team. That's just me being honest and speaking. I think they're good in areas, but not in the areas to where I think it, you have to be good. Like right now in today's college football. How Mummy would have it made if this was if this was how Mummy's Kentucky football team because scoring points and offense is kind of the, the it's the, the cool thing to do now. Um, Kentucky's problem to me it's not on the defensive side, Derek. I know their defense at times has looked you know kind of bad and looked lost with certain people. And overall, I, I feel like going into next season, I feel okay with where they are defensively. I think that that unit, I don't, I'm not worried about it because I think Mark Stoops is a great defensive mind. I think Brad Watt is great. Uh, but if they don't get some offense, it's not going to matter. Uh, this isn't – you can't – I just don't think that you can have lightning in a bottle like you did in 2018 and win 10 games or win nine regular season games just relying on the defense. I just think the college football to the point now you have to score points. Uh, right now, every team in the SEC, even Vandy, to me, puts up has better offensive attack than Kentucky has, and it's just I don't know. But we have we've seen a lot of games like this the last three years. I guarantee we can name off 14, 15 games where we've watched Kentucky just look completely lost on offense, and that's the thing that I think requires change. And honestly, I I'm going to say it. I'm not going to back away from it. I literally think that it's time for Eddie Graham to go. Yeah. Something needs to change. Whether that be his decision or Stoops' decision, he has to go. And I think that you owe it to the program. I think Stoops owes it to himself. And the thing is with Stoops is if you make that change, Stoops has done enough that he's earned himself time and some patience from the fans to get it figured out. Now, three years from now, let's say they make, let's say they make a new hire at offensive coordinator, and this is still happening three years from now then it falls on Stoops, in my opinion, because then it's not working out to the point that you're not running an offense that can that even looks like it belongs in this generation of college football. But I just feel like that you have to make a change. There's no way you can go into next season with the same approach. I think it's a hard sell to get people excited that uh, things will magically change. And if, some, if there is new fresh blood brought in, I think you can build some excitement depending on who it is. You can. Thinking. And, like, if you've – that's why I'm almost getting hung up on, on even – like, I, I agree. Like, I do think Bo is a guy of the future, but I, I wouldn't be lying if I said it does make me a little hesitant that they've barely played him. I mean, maybe they're just that concerned that he would just look awful because they don't trust the pieces around him. But at the same time, man, I just – I don't understand how you can pinpoint someone as the absolute quarterback of your future and then 
more or less, you'll play Joey Gatewood over him. Whenever you do have chances to get him in, you still go to the other guy. And there's things there, too, that we've talked about. If you do send that, uh, send that signal, a signal already to Joey Gatewood, then you, I guess you run the He's risk gone. of leaving. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, I just don't like the way they've managed. So that's that's what I'll close on. So that's my kind of takeaway from the day. The final score, I thought it would be worse. I, I, I said I would be surprised if they didn't cover the tw- – they won by 24. I thought they that was the final line. I thought they would cover that. So, like, the, the result is not something that – surprises me. I mean, you expect Kentucky to go down there and lose, but it's the fact that they can look this bad, and it just feels like nothing changes, Sean. It's, you're on the same guys out there, basically, week after week, no matter how bad they look, and they just it's just like Groundhog Day every Saturday. We get on here, and it's well, talking about how bad the offense is. That's what makes me wonder if there's even going to be anything changed going into the next season, because it feels like they're almost like they're content with where they are right now, and I, my biggest fear I shouldn't say it's my fear. I, I guess my concern as a media person, too, and just someone that follows the program and works and covers it, is do they think that this is just bad luck this year? Like, do they just go through this season, finish four and six? That's it, that's if they beat South Carolina. If they lose to South Carolina, I think the issues are significantly deeper. But do they just look at this season as just, oh, just a weird year, We'll run it back next year, tweak a couple of things here and there, and it's going to be better. I think if they do that, I think that they're trading a line there where this could – I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to watch this season and not think that they're setting the program back because I don't think it's going to be some simple fix. I think this could be something where they kind of struggle their way through more than just this year. I think they could struggle their way through next season and maybe part of another season. I, I don't think this is just going to be something where they just walk into next year and they're a nine-win football team. I think it's more realistic to expect them to be six and six next year than it would be for them to win eight to nine games. I don't know how you feel about it, well, especially with the offensive approach that they have right now. And almost with how many guys are going to be replacing next year, that it might make sense if, like, if you put out, let's say, let's use the word ultimatum. Let's say you put an ultimatum on on Grand next season to hey turn this thing around next year, or else you know you're probably done. Well, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense to put four new offensive linemen in, have a new quarterback, have a few new wide receivers and then switch after those guys play under Grant for one year. You know what I'm saying? It almost, to me, yeah. might make sense to, if you think Bo is truly the guy for the future, go out and find an offensive coordinator that you believe is on a fit, is on a mesh with Bo, and can be the guy to kind of take them into basically the 2020 version of SEC football. And it's going to take some time. Like That's kind of the thing I do want to point out, whether it's a Grant or somebody else. Like I agree with you. I think they're to the point where it's almost so bad that – I just don't think you see a team go from throwing 62 yards like a game like this to next year throwing like consistently over 300 yards. I, I guess I'd be surprised if that happened, but it's got to be better for sure. It has to be. And let me let me throw this in here because I want to know what you think about this thought, and then we can start wrapping things up. Sorry if, if I've had any audio issues. I'm actually driving on the interstate right now. But they're good enough defensively, Derek. They have enough talent on that side of the ball. J.J. Weaver, I will say this, you know, he made a big mistake calling out Kyle Pitts, but I thought he played well today. I thought he made some very good plays. I thought he was somebody that stood out to me that you're going to, it's going to be a force in the SEC that every team and every player on the opposing defense or offense is going to know his name uh, for future years. I think they have enough talent on that side of the ball that they're going to be competitive next season. I don't think that I don't think you're going to have scores like you had last week, 63-3, to with next year's schedule. I think that if the schedule stays as is, and let's say that COVID-19 is manageable and we have a normal college football season next year, I still think this is a team that can beat some quality football teams. I just don't think it's a team that can be billed as an SEC East contender until they get this offensive thing figured out. But here's my question for you. You have Chris Rodriguez in the backfield next year. Do they – keep this same approach of just ground and pound football and maybe win a game or two extra that they wouldn't win if they committed to trying to throw the ball and get some of these guys developed if they're wanting to change their approach offensively. Does that make sense at all how I'm trying to ask that? You're talking about for this season? No, for next year. Like, let's say they go into next year, you know, with a new offensive coordinator. Yeah. And you've got Chris Rodriguez and all these things. 
and you know that you can rely on the ground game. Well, sure. I, I, so. What I'm asking, well, yeah. you think so, but what I'm saying is, is I just feel like the Stoops is always going to love that because he's had so much success with it the last four years. But I think that that's always going to be in his heart is to win football games and play football games like that. What I'm saying is they're going to have, I feel like, a pretty good defense. I feel like that mm-hmm. that side of the ball is taken care of. You've recruited well on that side. you developed well on that side. It's the other side that hasn't been developed. So I think they're going to have good enough defense to win some games against teams in the SEC and some quality opponents, but not enough to where you're going to win eight, nine, ten games. Right. But what I'm asking is do you com- do you try to win an extra game or two next year just – doing that approach or do you try to kind of you know modify and switch this offense up to where you're throwing the football down the field and maybe you're not dominating time of possession or you're you know you're taking some chances and committing a turnover here or there that maybe you lose a game that you might have won if you approached it a different way is what I'm asking like is I, I just feel like to change and if they ever want to be an SEC contender they've got to be an explosive offense in my opinion is what I'm getting at I guess the way I'd answer it is they, Sorry for rambling. No, no, you're you're good. I'm, they won ten games in 2018, and until 2020, their wide receiver recruiting was actually pretty bad. So, like, where I think, does it really benefit you to win eight games a year, and then struggle to? What I'm trying to say is, they're not going to, in my opinion, they're not going to start getting quality wide receiver commitments until they actually show that they can have a functioning passing offense, and. Kind of like what we were talking about. Jeff Bidette left. Taven Richardson left. Like Those guys must have just seen the writing on the wall that uh, it was going to be mostly – and it's fine. I mean, Biddy Snell was there. They knew what it was going to be turning into. And, yes, Kentucky started winning games. But, yes, I think there is a – at least for Kentucky, there's been a sacrifice that they've had to make, and that was just very poor skill position recruiting for a number of years. So, if it meant next year that you – I don't know. It's actually kind of a tough question because you don't want to refuse to win games because we're so hell-bent on, like, getting guys involved. Ideally, you would, you know, it would become a little bit more balanced. You could still rely on Chris to to help you in the running game and to really dominate that. But at the same time, you do need to come up with a – I think they got to show something that can get people excited uh, about their future at throwing the ball. I, mean, I don't think it was well, a great answer to your question, but no, and it wasn't a great question. I didn't explain it or word it the best way. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I can think of a better way to approach it. I guess what I was asking is: is it is it better to go seven and five with a ground and pound offense, or five and seven slinging the thing around, still mixing in Chris Rodriguez, and in hopes that it'll be better in future years? Exactly, that you yeah. can recruit better and that you can get better. And to me, the perfect. Kentucky offense, if we're just going off of what they had, give me 2016 mm-hmm. with good running backs like Boone Williams, Benny Snell. And I know, look, I'm talking about generational football players here, but a mixture where you still had a guy like Jeff Bidette, you still had a Juice Johnson. That's the Kentucky offense, Derek, that I honestly feel like if they had that 2016 offense the last few years, I think they might have could have won the SEC East. If you had first half Drew Barker against uh, in 2018, yeah, I think they seriously might have. Um, and who knows if if we could go down a whole rabbit hole of what ifs. I mean, if if Barker stays healthy, who knows what kind of kids they could have gotten recruiting a couple of those classes instead of what they ended up with. But I, I guess uh, I guess we can leave it there, Sean. I think we've about beat this game to death. Uh, nothing we have. Is gonna. Hey. I wanted to, I do want to say one more thing too is I think Mark Stoops deserves to have some patience with this from the fan side of things uh, as long as they show that they're trying to make a change if they just completely deny it Derek and they don't make changes then I think that you can kind of I think the criticism is warranted but I will say this he's he's done enough at Kentucky at a place like Kentucky to kind of earn some patience and, you know, a year or two to kind of figure this thing out as long as they're trying to figure it out. And it's not just going to be one person that figures it out. It's got to be a collective effort from the staff and from the guys that are there. And I mean, I think they can, I think if you're, you're making your one good decision away, I think from fixing things, I think that's the thing that we see in sports is if you can kind of just make the right call Mm -hmm. and get the right fit, 
then you've got something new to sell. And here I am talking like Eddie Grand's already been fired. I don't know that. Who knows? Eddie Grand may still be there. And if he is, I just think that it's something that they just need to come together and kind of get this thing figured out. Maybe somebody like we always wondered if Stoops have the reins on the offensive side. I think he does to an extent, but at times too, I don't think that this is just because Stoops is just playing conservative football. I think that they've kind of all fallen in love with this whole approach, and this year it's kind of bit them. Let's just real quick for discussion's sake. If you're a – let's say that there is an offensive corner position open here and you're a candidate. What – if you're Mark Stoops, what are you selling this guy on, the new coach? If you're trying to recruit basically a new coordinator and this yeah. person might have a few good options, like how, how do you sell Kentucky's offense to him? Well, if you want me to know one thing, he, I wouldn't be alone on the call if I'm Martin Stoops. You know who I would have on the call with me? I'd have my brother Bob on there because <laughs> I, that's who I would be calling. Is I would, Not for him to come take the job, but I would say point me in the right direction here. Yeah, you know, Help me out with this. I, I value your opinion because you were a successful coach and had successful offenses. Tell me what I need to do. And honestly, the thing that I would pitch, Derek, I'm giving you complete control of it. It's been it's been to the point to where this thing's been kind of going downhill for a few years now. I think Stoops needs to not be stubborn, and I think he kind of just needs to give someone control of it. If that's Eddie Grand, let's say that he has been holding this thing back, then he needs to go to Eddie and say, look, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to keep my hands out of this. Or if it's a new person, I think that's the pitch you make is we got a quarterback here that's going to be a redshirt freshman. He has all of his career here at Kentucky. We've recruited this and this and this. We're going to go and try to get this and this. I'm giving you the freedom to do your thing, and I'm going to keep out of it because I'm a defensive-minded coach. That would be my pitch that I would sell because I would try to go get anybody I could. If there's a really good offensive coordinator out there, be like, this is the success that we've had. This is the defense that we have here. This and this, I'm giving you complete control over it. Because I think that's the thing. I, I think that it'll be a hard job to sell. I agree with you, Sean. Let's leave that there. Uh, again, final score today, Florida defeats Kentucky 34-10 to in the swamp. Let's give a shout-out to the Butcher's Pub. Uh, like Sean mentioned in one of our last podcasts, they're currently closed down until the 13th of December. Uh, but for those small restaurants that are out there, keep those places in mind. I went to Shamrocks last night. My fiance and I did. We picked it up and brought it back home. Uh, support those places. And I know there are places like that in your small town. And until the Butcher's Pub gets back, we'll continue to plug them, continue to keep them in mind. But he was Sean Smith. Sean, safe travels back to uh, back to Kentucky. And I'm Derek Terry, and we'll be back tomorrow for a post-game basketball episode as Kentucky takes on Richmond at Rupp Arena. Thanks for joining us. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.